Well, good morning again. Glad that you're able to join us this morning as we come to the third week of Advent. And this morning we're going to talk about a little bit something more traditional to the Advent season, and that is love. Now, every time I speak on this topic, it usually involves defining love. So initially what goes through my head is the SNL sketch with Night at the Roxbury's and Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell shaking their head to the song of What is Love? It's just the way that I was raised, I guess. You just can't get that out of my head, and now it's probably stuck in yours if you've seen that. But love is such a fun topic to talk about. Thank you, Russ. It is such a fun topic to talk about because there's so much talk about it in Scripture. It's a, it's a rich subject. You know, when we think about the subject in love of love and defining it, you can talk about it for quite a while. You can chew on it because who completely understands love? You know, when we think about it in Scripture, you know, it's a theme where we're talking about and understanding Christ and what he has done for us. We're understanding who God is based on the attribute. And we go into these things and we, we go through our life with these moments and we understand more, we grow deeper into it as we experience it more and more in our lives. You know, when we think about love and how we understand it, perhaps we tend to think about the times that maybe we've fallen in love. Or we think about how love changes or the depths of love grows through that time of marriage or relationships or as children enter into it, the difference of that, maybe grandkids. Uh, maybe if, if you think about a parent-child relationship or you think about the love from a grandparent or a caretaker. You know, when we talk about such a big topic, it's easy to throw something at the wall and have it stick, but it's hard for us to have certain analogies that fall in line with everyone. Because I understand that everyone's not married, not everyone has children, or not everyone grew up in a loving two-parent home. We're very aware of the brokenness of this world, which I think it just emphasizes more the importance of the topic of love and diving into it a little bit deeper. Now, for those of you who are married, or maybe you are in a relationship now, whether that's dating or whatever, my opening question for you is, who made the first move? It's an interesting question because it could be either person. Well, for me, I made the first move. It was one of those testing the waters types of things. Literally, I pushed her into the water. <laughs> she was not as thrilled. But her friends were saying, hey, he likes you. She disagreed. They said, no, he's just acting like a third grader. They were right. Throughout that summer, we continued to talk. I took her planner and I, I penciled in times that, hey, you're going to go to this movie with me on this day. Hey, you're going to go to this party with me on this day. As she reflected on that, she's like, you know, it was creepy, but you took charge. It was good. <laughs> Eventually, I mustered up enough courage towards the end of the summer and asked her out on an official date to dinner and a movie. So in that instance, I made the first move. 
You know, when you reminisce about those early days of love, you can have some fun memories or maybe some hurtful regrets. You meditate on the mistakes that you've made and you, how you've learned to communicate in a relationship and you figure out what love is in that regard. Again, as you think about different examples, let's continue to go down the line. Perhaps you have children. If you don't have children, perhaps you have a relationship with your parents. Who, who loved who first in that relationship? Usually you say, well, the parents did, obviously. You know, you think about how the parent loves the child first. It's not really much of a question. But when you think back to your childhood, do you recall a moment or a memory that you thought, yep, I know my parents love me? Now, it's probably not during those diaper-changing phases or the feeding times or the waking up in the middle of the night type of things. As a child, you don't remember those things. Those are just kind of a given. But do you have an instance where you thought, I know that my parents love me? You know, parents initiate love towards their children. And today we're going to talk about how our Father initiates love towards us. And we're going to be reading in 1 John chapter 4 today. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you join us there. We're going to be reading kind of around this passage a little bit as well. Most of the scriptures I'll have on the screen that I go through today. But we're going to be in 1 John 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 21. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. But he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, as we go to your word today, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your love. 
Help us to dive deep. Help us to understand more and to deepen our relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So from a teaching perspective, this is a very difficult passage to go over because it is so deep. We could break down just one or two verses and spend three or four weeks just within this one passage. So just know, as we go over this today, we're just going to be brushing over some of those things, but going deeper into some of the areas. Um, But spend some time in it this week. It's definitely a fun chapter. You know, oftentimes we think of 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. That's kind of what it's known as. But you know, in this chapter, if you exclude the beloveds, there's 28 uses of the term love. Each of those terms is the agape form. So this is God's love. You know, and as we've discussed this in the past, we understand that love is a dynamic term, meaning it's growing, it's changing, it's evolving. When we understand love as the grounds for our faith, we tie this to our relationship with Jesus. We see how our relationship with Jesus constantly grows, constantly deepens. So it's, it's a depth type of thing into his love. You know, love is not to be static. It's not to be um, stationary. It's not to be just sitting there. You know, if it's static, then it's treated as an ideal where we can just do this checklist and then I'm in love or I love you because I've done these types of things. You know, when we think about love, it is bigger and deeper than words can oftentimes express. So we incorporate action into our understanding as well. Now, to connect our opening a little bit right away to this passage, I want to talk about one of the bigger points within this section. Again, there's a lot of big points within it. But when we look at verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And when we're talking about the love of God, we have to understand who takes the initiative, who makes the first move, and that's God. It's always God. He makes the first move. He is the source. You know, this passage says that God is love in verses 8 and verses 16. His essence is love, and it's a definable characteristic that doesn't reverse itself, meaning you can say that God is love, but you don't say that love is God. That would be putting love higher than the person of God. So God is love, defines who he is. It's an attribute that's on par with some of the other defining characteristics that John makes. John in this letter also says that God is light, and in his gospel message, he says that God is spirit. And you see these types of statements throughout the scriptures that you pick up on in terms of the character and essence of who God is. Now, within verse 19, we also connect it up to verse 10, which says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he shows us his love, not just with words, but also with actions. And that action is sending his son to be a sacrifice. Now the context of what John is writing to, uh, he's writing to believers and charging them that they should love one another and they should love one another based on the love that they've received from Christ, from God. You know, the roots of that love come from him first. That's the basis, that's the reasoning in terms of what they've experienced through salvation to then go out and love others. 
So when we're looking at this, we understand that's all the proof we need because God sent his son into this world. Verse nine says, in this, the love of God was made manifest, meaning it was displayed, it was shown, it was tangible, it was visible. His love, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, just like in the opening, when we try to remember um, when we might have first known that our parents loved us. We can't always think of the specific examples. Maybe we just think, I, my parents have just always loved me. It's kind of a general understanding, a general knowledge of the love that's there. And it's difficult for us to think of some of those specific examples. Well, I've, I view this kind of, when I relate it to God, in the same way of the general love of God as well. And I tie that usually to Romans 1, where it talks about how with God, his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Right? So God can be perceived through creation to where people can look at creation and know that God exists, that, that God exists in a general sense. That's called general revelation. But then you understand the love of God that comes from the form of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. That is a specific revelation. That is the gospel message. That is understanding the good news. The invisible attributes make seekers of the lost people in this world to press forward to know God more, to desire to go find him because they can see around them with their eyes that God is there. That is where the gospel message comes in. Um, and John lays out very clearly the points of the gospel message in both his gospel and then the letters to his people. And he's pointing out that, you know, with what God has done through his son Jesus, we can have confidence in the love of God. That we can have confidence in the word of God because of the salvation that we've received. God's love is displayed in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. God's love is displayed in him who went to the cross to pay for our sins. The death that was the propitiation, that is the accepted payment for the cover to cost, cover the cost of sin. Right? The wages of sin is death, as Romans 6.23 tells us. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John, verses 15, or chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, the Old Testament system would sacrifice animals as a substitute. That would be the propitiation. That would be the cost to pay for their sins. The sacrifice of the animal took the place of the guilty person that sinned. Their blood covered that cost to atone for their sin. When Jesus came, he displayed the love of God to us by obediently going to the cross in our sa- for, our, for our sakes, in our stead, to pay the price of the sin for that person. He shows us the, the extreme measures of love. So John says that we should love others because he first loved us. God initiated love by sending Jesus. And if we are to be reflections of God, if we are being made into his image, then we should initiate love to those around us as well. Understanding where that initiation comes from, from our understanding of the salvation that we've received, we then take that to others. As believers, 
you think about different changes that happened in your life because of salvation. You think about what your life was like before Jesus and what your life is like after Jesus in terms of how you treat people, in terms of the actions that you do and the things that you say, in terms of how you present yourself. You know, when you personally look at the salvation message, when you personally look at what Jesus did for you, the sacrifice that he made on your behalf, the lengths that God would go to, what does that cause in your heart and mind? How does that stir you when you understand the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God? To send Jesus as a humble baby, lowly in stature, who was ridiculed and mocked, beaten, betrayed, sacrificed for your sake. And you make it personal because it is personal. For me, I think of my struggles through addiction, through drunkenness, through coarse language. I think about my wickedness towards others to elevate myself. I think about the bridges that I've burned. I understood and I understand the sins that I have committed. I know that I am deserving of judgment, a judgment that would be eternal separation from the Father. But in spite of all of that brokenness, in spite of my fallen state, God sent his son to die in my place. Me, an ungrateful, prideful sinner, and it's in absolute brokenness and unworthiness that you hear the message that God loves you. And you think it can't be true. I'm not worthy for that. There's no way that he could love me. Who can love that much? God does. It's not understandable to us. It seems reckless, it seems unconventional. But that's what love looks like. It's indescribable, it's inexpressible, it's inconceivable, it's incomprehensible. And our understanding of that only grows as time goes on through the abiding presence. Love is personal and it is present. Because he loves you, he has sent his son. Because he loves you, he has given you the spirit and the spirit dwells in you. So you have confidence in God that he abides in you because he has given us his spirit, as it says in verse 13. And this abiding is connected to love. Look at verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You know, our abiding in God 
and God in us is evident based on the demon, or it's, it's evident based on the demonstration of love that comes from his spirit. The spirit is the source of the abiding love that's in us. Look up to chapter three, verses 23 through 24. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The spirit is a guarantee. The spirit is the seal for our salvation. You know, when we think about these verses and the talks about abiding, you know, I suggest reading John 15 this week. Again, within the same author, um, the same understanding of abiding that goes on there. It's a wonderful chapter that talks about the abiding presence. You know, from these verses, we can see the result, the commands that are attached to the love that we've received. But we need to recognize and understand the confidence in the love of God that we have. God manifested his love in the person of Jesus, who died on the cross to restore the relationship between God and us. And then he gave us his spirit as an abiding presence for us to be comforted in so many ways and to know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. His presence is with us. And then in this passage, we've got a lot of talk about perfection. Now we can resign ourselves to the fact that we'll never be perfect until we're glorified. I get that, it's very true. And sometimes we can rest on that and just throw up our hands and think, well, it's all for naught anyway, I'm just not gonna do anything because it's impossible to be perfected. It's one way to go through life. But you know, as, as we understand the passive action of the Spirit, that we are being made into the image of Christ, we understand that it's a process that happens here on earth. And you know, when we think about the context of what John is writing about, looking back in verse seven, he says, beloved, let us love one another. And then in verses 11 and 12, he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also lo- ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So as he is charging the people to love one another, he says that as you do this, God's love is perfected in us. Now we understand again that we're being made into the image of Christ in the present time. It's moving towards perfection. And here God's love is perfected in us. Prepositions are fun and very important. So what this means is that as love is reaching perfection in us, it's because we're having proper relationship with other people. Namely, we're not hating them. You look down to verses 20 and 21, and it talks about how you don't hate your brothers and sisters if you're loving them. Also in John 13, John is just continuing a command here that he received from Jesus. Um, This is at the Last Supper, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, of course, this is easier said than done. 
I think we can all admit that there are difficult people out there that are just hard to love. But are we to the point that we can admit that we can be difficult to love? Normally it's always the other person. You know, I've said it in many ways, my marriage to Elaine was easy, but it doesn't mean that neither of us were complicated or stubborn. Me so probably more than her. Um, but we liked each other. And we worked through it. We communicated. Sometimes you just don't like people. So how do you love those people? It makes it difficult, doesn't it? I think perhaps part of that goes to our understanding of the definition of love. Especially in the culture and the society that we live in, love is just sexual. It's sexualized everywhere you go. And that's what we're taught to believe that love is. Matthew 5, 46 and 48. Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus is laying out the truth of what it means to love others. But how can we love one another when we particularly don't like the other person? As I said, the key is in the definition, the meaning of love. Loving our brothers and sisters means doing what is best for them. Loving them in the agape form of love. It doesn't mean feeling affection for them though feelings of affection can come after commitment to do what is best for them. Love is not self-seeking. It's not doing something and expecting something in return. If you are loving someone because of that, of what you're going to get in return, then you're just simply manipulating them, not loving them. Manipulation happens all the time in our marriages, in our relationships. Big theological thing here from The Little Mermaid, if you remember that movie. What does Sebastian tell Ariel to do? Just to get a kiss. You've got to bat your eyes like this and pucker up your lips like this. And then maybe you ask a question like, honey, does that woman look prettier than me? Hmm. Manipulation. Or guys. Hey, honey, you look tired. How about, a, how about a back rub? Can I give you a back rub? Manipulation. Love does not seek its own self-interests. Love seeks the interests of others. God's love is made perfect in us when we love others for their own good and not our own. The second instance of perfection is found in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. Now the context of this verse comes off of verses 15 and 16 which we've read and the confession of faith in Jesus. So the perfection with us Notice the different preposition. 
shows that it's talking about a proper relationship with God. In this case, the tangibility of that would be no fear. Before, the perfection in us is the no hate. Here it is, no fear, because perfect love casts out fear. Properly understanding your relationship with God eliminates fears in your life. Now, maybe you're just a fearful person, fearful about what others think, what others say. Maybe you're fearful about salvation and being really saved. Maybe you have one of the millions of phobias in this world. Based on the examples that he is giving in this chapter, he's saying that Christians are to have confidence and not fear because they have love for others and they've experienced the love of God. As they're loving others, they're understanding that they are abiding in Christ and Christ in them. Thus, they have no fear of the judgment that is to come. How you are loving others is the tangible demonstration of Christ in you. So that is the confidence that we have. That is the reassurance that we have when the enemy comes in with doubts. When the enemy tries to pull us away, to rob our joy, to rob the truth and the love that we have from the Father. You know, when we are loving others, we're demonstrating our likeness to Jesus, who is the judge. You know, when we, when we think about how we understand the love of God and how it continually grows in our hearts and minds, it's because we're deepening that relationship with Christ, where we're understanding the person of Jesus and who he is. You know, the person of Jesus is such a, a packed term, a packed phrase, when in reality, what we mean is it encompasses all of what the gospel messages say. It encompasses all of what the Bible teaches us about the plan of salvation and what God brings to us as he initiates this love by sending Jesus in the form of a baby. As we are loving, we gain confidence and not fear. And the confidence that we have is in the promises of God. Let's look at chapter 5 there in 1 John. I want to read the first five verses this morning. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, and again, our hope is not in our faith. Our hope is not in the belief that we have. Our hope is placed solely in Christ. Our hope is placed solely in what the word of God says about Christ and God's promises. There's so many other messages that happen in the world that try to drive us away. But our confidence comes from what we read in the word of God. What we read about the person of Jesus. What we read and understand about the love that came down in the form of a baby. Sometimes when I preach these kinds of messages that are heavy with teaching, it feels more like I'm a motivational speaker to where, I mean, I'm not quite big enough to be like a Matt Foley kind of guy. If you're wondering who that is, he's the man that lives in the van down by the river. 
two SNL quotes today, I'm telling you. I'm on a roll. But you know, you think, I feel like I'm a motivational speaker at times because I understand that at times we get down in our faith. We have doubts, we have questions, we have worries. And it causes us to trip. Where the enemy is trying to snatch our understanding of what love truly is. Where the enemy tries to rob our joy, he tries to take that which Christ has done for us and create seeds of doubt to sow discord in the relationship that we have with God. You know, we live in a broken world and our understanding of love is tainted. It's shattered by the hurts that we've experienced in this life. But I want us to remind us, I want to remind us this morning of the truths that we find in scriptures. When we're talking about love, God is the source. He initiates. And he first loved us as he sent Jesus. His love was manifested in the person of Jesus. And it was exemplified as he went to the cross on our, on our behalves. Willingly giving up his life, spilling his blood as the sacrifice to pay for our sins. Jesus taught us about love with his words. He showed us about love with his actions. Firsthand, he said, no greater love has this than someone who lays his life down for another. And it wasn't just words for him. He then goes out and does it. Because of the love of God, he sent his son. Because of the love of God, he then sends the spirit to dwell within us. You think about what God has done for you in a personal sense. You know your heart. You know your brokenness. God's love is more than anything that we can imagine, anything that we can explain, anything that we can comprehend, and we just get a taste of it. We understand the manifestation of his love in the person of Jesus. We understand and experience the salvation that he has given us, and then we are called and we are charged as believers to then go and share that love with those around us, making it manifest for them by loving those around us with the gospel message, walking in his commands, understanding that fear has no place in our life because perfect love casts out fear. We are secure in Jesus and we know that Jesus died for every one of our sins. So as we approach this Christmas season, as we approach this topic of love, I want us to be reminded of the truth that God is love, and that love came down in the form of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we just touch on this topic this morning, I pray that you would, that you would give us the desire to pursue you more in terms of depth in our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for how you have given us salvation. We thank you for how you have given us your spirit. And I just pray that we would not squander those things, that we would not belittle them, but Lord, that we would be able to walk in them daily. That we would understand your truths, that we would understand the love that we have received. 
and that that love would become a part of who we are, that it would be reflected in our words, in our actions. Lord, and that we would be able to share that love with others in the way that you have called us to. Lord, give us strength in times of weakness. Remind us uh, of the hope that we have in you in times where the enemy is trying to speak lies and allow us to rest in your truths and promises. Thank you for the love that you have given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.